Father, it's your, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Lord, I could equally say it's your goodness that leads us to understand who you are in a deeper, more profound way. Lord, you are good. You send rain on the just, the unjust. You give us food. You give us the things that we need to live this life. But, but Lord, more than that, for those of us who know your Son, Jesus Christ, your goodness through sending Jesus to die for us, to be raised again, gives us life. We're so grateful for that. And we thank you and we praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. It was uh, during the winter of 1974 that, that I came to Jesus Christ. And I had a, a difficult childhood, uh, to say the least. Uh, so very early, I picked up swearing, as it's commonly called. Just plain foul language. Two years in the Army, uh, field artillery had sharpened my speech into a constant polluted stream. Literally every sentence. When I came to Christ, however, and I would hear the speakers speak, I heard that thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Man, did I know I was in trouble. <laughs> I mean, foul language for me, it was reflexive. I didn't think about it at all. It just, it just came out. And as a new believer, though, I knew that, that I had to stop it. I mean, actually, at that time, I was, I was saying words that were considered foul that I didn't even know were considered foul. You've got to get into the church to get all of them right. Know which ones are really bad and so forth. But you know what? Uh, one thing was clear. Any phrase with God in it, other than in praise, had to go. And out it went. I was intentional. I was diligent. I was hard working. I don't know how long it was. And I've mentioned this uh, before. Uh, but it was a month, month, maybe two. And I went to a young adult Bible study. And at prayer time, I wanted to offer praise. And so I did praise God. See, that was special for me, right? Because now I was using God's name in the right way. I swore only six times today. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. Seriously. They were agog. They were aghast. Today it might be considered TMI. Too much information. But as a young believer, even then I understood that sanctification didn't come the next day simply because the Holy Spirit was a part of your life. It took time. In fact, as the Apostle Paul, until I'm present with Christ... I mean, this is a lifetime operation. And I thought that because I had almost ascended, for me, what was a challenge the size of Mount Everest, that people would want to rejoice. They would want to journey with me 
in praise to God for what he had done in my life. Needless to say, that particular praise didn't go over so well. And uh, some of the folks, they actually avoided me. Some from then on out. They're like, oh my, we don't know what to do with you. Sadly, I never really shared that openly again. I don't know, maybe some of you have shared the same experience. The place where you're supposed to be able to go and, and share who you are and the redemption that Christ has given you is often the place where it's withheld. I find that very odd. But I also found something else a little odd as I thought about it. I mean, what are words anyway? Words are just the sound that we make sense of going, you know, through the air, from the air from our lungs, going over our vocal uh, cords and through our mouth and the way we move that and so forth. And I, I, I started having a little bit of a logical problem. That is this. Surely God does not care about sound at the same level that he cares about murder. I mean, flawed, yes. Flawed, yes. Ten Commandment worthy? Mm, perhaps. But it was a little unclear to me. I mean, by that time, see, I had learned some Russian when I had gone to the Defense Language Institute in California. And they have one phrase, and if you know Russian, you'll know, you may be aware of this, but it sounds exactly like a swear, a cussing in English. In fact, in Arabic, there are a lot of missionaries over there who will not say the word winter. If you're familiar with the King James Version, there's a tree by that name. You may know what I'm talking about. But they will avoid saying that even though it doesn't mean anything but snow. But anyway, it's because it sounds precisely like an English swear word. So it took me a while, and I'm slow, But I began to see that sounds in themselves were nothing. It was something else. It was something more profound. It was something that was located in the heart. Now I need to pause for just a moment. Because I, like others, when we're listening to people, often have the habit of hearing what they're not saying. So, just to be clear, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that any form of foul language is okay. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that I have met immoral people whose language is pure as the driven snow. It's a heart issue. It's something that goes in the heart. What I mean is that one's heart can be wrong regardless of one's speech. Be careful. Be very careful how we judge others as it relates to the words that they say and try to look beyond that and look to the heart. Right now at the beginning of this, we're confronted with a couple of things. I mean, since it has to do with the heart, is, is it just the language that comes from the heart? That's a part of it. But is that all uh, there is? I think there's more. Right at the very beginning, we're confronted with the question is, what is God's name? Which I know you, you, it's hard to see, but 
Barb made a little list of the names that we call God. There's a bunch. Okay, now he has a couple that he fairly well reserves to himself, but nevertheless, there's a lot. So what is God's name? And what is the actual prohibition of the third commandment? Does it have to do with swearing? Yes, it may. It may. Now, we don't know exactly what God's name is. We know the consonants. Uh, those are called the uh, tetragrammaton. And that's, those the four, there's four letters. And we think we know what the vowels are because of other words, the compound words that use His name. We think we know, but we do not. So we usually say Yahweh. But it, it, there's no certainty to that, and no one can uh, demand that that's exactly what it is because we have no idea what the vowels were with certainty. We say it, um, we are not certain of it. But to this day, uh, many Jews will not even write the English word God uh, for fear of breaking the third commandment, which is found in Exodus 27, if you're not already there. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That many of us are more familiar with the King James Version. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So when writing the Tetragrammaton, scribes would go to what was called the mikvah. So this is serious business. Now that is a place of ceremonial washing. In essence, they would give what for all intents and purposes looks like a self-baptism in this uh, pool of water. Then after that cleansing, they would get out and they would write with a new pen, uh, letter by letter without pausing. And it uh, doesn't seem to be a very challenging task necessarily. Um, but think of Deuteronomy 6.4. I mean, you're a scribe and you're going through the Shema it would, in fact, take some time. But back to the heart issue. What does it actually mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? And I think of the possibilities that God could have meant. Foul language is number five on my list. And after I finish the sermon, you may agree, you may disagree. But nevertheless, I, that's where it lies for me, it doesn't make it right by any means. But nevertheless, it's not the first thing. You know, some denominations, some individuals as well, in order to avoid breaking or violating the third commandment, they will actually change their intonation. They will change their pitch. They will change their rhythm and even their resonance when they say the word God. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And it's like a, a thing, and I think that's in part at least so that they're not taking his name lightly. So, so, so much so that they even say it differently. Now, they want to avoid the third commandment violating that as much as we do. But is there more? I mean, 
really, if not, if that's what it is, hey, we're good. I mean, we got that First Amendment covered. We got the Second Amendment, no problem. Third Amendment, I doubt there are very many people in here who swear as a regular part of their daily language. One might slip out hither and thither. Did I really? Did I not say commandment? You know, I did spend 20 years talking about the first 10 amendments. So. And especially that last time, I, I formulated the word commandment, but that's not what came out. Is that bizarre? That's why, that's why, you know, whatever you say in public, the Apostle Paul says, at some point, you're going to offend somebody. Just so it's like, deal with it. I mean, not you deal with it, me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let me get out of this and move over to somewhere else. But if, if a swearing is not primarily in view, then what is? So, if you, and you don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy 6.13 reads, Fear the Lord, your God, serve Him only, and take your oaths in His name. Now, the truth of one's uh, words was commonly attested to in ancient Israel, in fact, all over the ancient Near East, by calling upon one's deity. Essentially, it's by God that kind of thing. And in Israel, it was specifically, they would swear their oaths by His name. It's much the same way that we would say, as God is my witness. Now, when that happened, you have to understand that you're dealing with a people. Now, some in here may, may believe in curses. Some may not. But at that time, they all did. So there is no one who would literally put a curse on themselves uh, unless they were intent on fulfilling the oath because there was a penalty to that. So the oaths were designed to use the name of God to convince others of their sincerity and goodwill. And so an Israelite could guarantee the truth by uh, invoking God's name. Now we have similar oaths, right? Uh, if you've ever been to court, or if you've ever had to testify, uh, there's a phrase that we commonly hear and understand. That's you, you put your hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, uh, and nothing but the truth. Now, when you put your hand on the Bible, uh, and I'll talk about this in a few minutes as well. When you put your hand on the uh, on the Bible, you are not swearing by a book some people you know it's like you know that i mentioned this last week i think i showed you the moon and all you saw was my finger tip that this is not it you're swearing by the author of the book it is a it is a visual saying that you are swearing to god to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In the case of taking an oath to the Constitution, it always ends with the phrase, So help me God. 
Uh, there's only been two presidents in our entire history who have not used those phrases. Um, and, uh, I mean, so help me God, in my household was more akin to a swear phrase than anything else. You know, so help me God, I'm going to bust you in the next week or something like that. But anyway, um, George Washington introduced that phrase to the oath. And it's an abbreviated form of an oath that at that time, everybody knew what it was. So all you had to do was say, so help me God. And everybody knew precisely what the reference was. We don't live in that world any longer. The Bible and church history are simply not taught outside of church or seminary or something like that. It's an abbreviated form of this. So help me, so may God help me at the judgment day if I speak true. But if I speak false, then may he withdraw his help from me. So that being the case, I see the first major prohibition of the third commandment. We have to celebrate small victories here. Because I was just talking about an oath to the Constitution, so I was really going to mess up. That's what I would have done it. But, but I had it on my mind, so, so it's all good. But that being the case, I see the first significant prohibition as the misuse of God's name in order to support a lie. In Arabic, there's a phrase that is very well known. You spoke, I believed. You swore, I doubted. <laughs> so what we see here in Leviticus 19, 11, and 12, it reads this. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of, the, of your God, I am the Lord. Now, it does seem that Jesus changed all this in Matthew, uh, right? Matthew 5, 34, uh, and also in James 5, 12. It essentially says, don't swear at all. Let your yea or let your yes be yes and your no uh, be no. So because of these verses, the, the government itself and uh, other institutions allow Christians who hold this very dearly to affirm. So if you listen to the oath, it's I, I swear or affirm. And so you can affirm, and even in the court of law, uh, I do solemnly affirm uh, that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The same is also true for uh, officers uh, and enlisted who take the oath uh, in the uh, military, either to the Constitution uh, or uh, whatever oath it is that they might have, you can affirm this. And that's precisely because of those two uh, verses. Using God's name to convince others you are truthful when you are lying, that's what leads to the next step in this progression. And this is what I think the second thing is. Because once you get someone to believe and have confidence in you that you're speaking the truth because you've invoked the name of God, uh, that's when you can manipulate other people. I mean, people can take the name of God in vain when they misrepresent 
God by speaking, by claiming to speak on God's behalf when in fact they do not. In Jeremiah's days, God was angry with the false prophets. In Jeremiah 6, it reads, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Further in Jeremiah, he he says more about this when he says, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their minds. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, yet they are saying, No sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets shall perish by the sword and by famine. So these false prophets, and God does not take kindly to this at all. When they speak with God's authority when in fact they are lying, when they proclaim what God has said, when He in fact has not, misrepresents God, but because they're speaking and they have the trust of the people, then now the people are manipulated to believe something that is not true. I mean, it can be really hurtful as well. So when my best friend Myron lay dying, uh, someone came in and literally prophesied over me, saying that Myron would die if I did not leave the room. I must allow their pastor to come in, and that even if he died in that transition time, the Lord would give him the power to raise him from the dead. Now that person may have been completely sincere, but I'll tell you what, in my opinion, they were right on the edge, or maybe even over the edge, of breaking the third commandment. It just does not work that way. He was proclaiming what the Lord had not proclaimed. The Lord didn't tell him to say that. Like those prophets from old, and what the Lord said about them, they were speaking out of the delusions of their own mind. And we see this in lesser forms um, when we hear someone say, Oh, God wanted me to share this with you. God wanted me to tell you this. And then they proceed to either spin some outlandish tale and or they proceed to judge you or chew you out or belittle you, demean or in any other way try to humiliate you they're used, they got a bone to pick with you, and they're using God. Oh, God said to, to tell you this. No, that's a delusion in your own mind. And that's, and in fact, they weaponize God in that case. And that's violating the third commandment. Third, not only is using God to demonstrate truthfulness when it's in fact a lie. And when using the conviction of that truth goes to manipulate others, 
then this third one is particularly repugnant uh, because now the progression leads us to a place where we violate the third commandment when we use the name of God to try to force God to do what we want. I mean, there's no doubt at all that the name of God is the most powerful name ever. And He will do things for His name's sake. His disciples, he pro, uh, Jesus promised His disciples in John 14, Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask Me anything in My name. Now, believers can break the third commandment if they treat the name of God or Jesus like a magic word. And people do that. I mean, in the ancient Near East, uh, a person's name was intimately concerned with their um, uh, essence, that which made them who they were. And so uh, names were often kept secret. They're real names. So like I... I uh, you, in the, in this, you see this in the Middle East all the time. Now, that may not be the reason for it, but you don't know somebody's name over there. You're, you're Abu somebody or Um somebody. Uh, Abu meaning you're the father. So, you know, what's your name? Abu Nidal, okay? What's your name? Abu Nidal. All that means is the father of Nidal. That's it. And that's, that's how. Or I'm, uh, you know, Muhammad from Syria. Or something like that. Uh, because, uh, again, I'm not making that causal for that cultural element. But it was causal in the past. And that is, if you had their name, you could steal their essence. You could take their strength. And then you could use that on your own. And this is exactly what God is prohibiting you cannot take my name, you cannot steal my essence and use it for your own purposes. Most religions had these kinds of uh, this magic or uh, curses or whatever to command the, the deities to do whatever it is that they want. And they did it by calling on the deity's name and then making some incantation that was impossible for that deity to resist. So in effect, they're practicing magic. Magic is the manipulation of the material universe in ways not normally seen for your purposes, for your gain, for your benefit. And the third commandment prohibited them from dragging the Lord's name down to the level of the names of these false gods. They were not to use Magic. That commandment uh, tells us that we are never to attempt to manipulate Almighty God by invoking His name. I'm sorry. If it is a selfish intent that you have, saying Jesus a thousand times is not going to help. Indeed, there are other means whatever those might be, they won't work. The Lord of heaven and earth is not obligated to do our bidding. I mean, so if a person believes that God will do whatever they ask because they use the name of God or Jesus, 
they're very close to breaking this commandment. I mean, magic, because that's what it is, it's magic. Magic is not a part of our everyday life here in America, but it still is very real for many people here and in other countries as well. And magic is that, as I mentioned before, the manipulation of the material universe. In fact, some stage magicians, and we all know this word, abracadabra. I mean, who does not know abracadabra? That's really a cool word, or actually it's a phrase. But anyway, now it, while it's not uh, linguistically certain, it is definitely tantalizing when you look at Hebrew or Aramaic, when Abra, could, if, if you know the word Hebrew word for word, if you knew any Hebrew, that'd be one of them. It's Dabr, Dabar, Abra Kadabra. It means it came to pass as it was spoken. And it's a very fascinating thing. Uh, But the notion here is that using the right word or series of words will cause God to do what you want Him to. And some of that's a little bit our fault. I mean, certainly we don't use the word magic uh, lightly in the church. But I know when I wasn't raised in the church, and I know a lot of other people weren't raised in the church either. And so when you wanted something... Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, whatever. And you pester, pester, pester. And the parent finally says, what's the magic word? Please, please, can I, may I, you know. And then what we do is we instill in them, if they only say the right word, they may be able to get what it is that they want. And sadly, many uh, people, even in the church, do this. And they use it as a talisman. Um, I mean, even to think that by using the name of God that He will do what we want is dangerously close. Do you understand how this is moving? I'm telling you that this third commandment does not thereby make us free simply because we don't use a few bad words. We need to really evaluate our own hearts and see how close we come to this as we move through our daily uh, life. I mean, and we know it's not a talisman. Here, just let me throw a little word of God at you on this. Acts 19, in Acts 19, I should say, we read uh, this fascinating story. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches... I command you to come out. So you got the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish uh, chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all and gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And yet, this was done in the name of Jesus. Let me say something. A name means nothing unless it is connected to the person. It's not a talisman. The name of Jesus is far more important than something like that. So, no lying under earth, no claiming to speak for God when we don't. 
and no attempting to use the name of God as a means to an end. Our prayers must always be our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now last week I said that when someone's words touch your heart, it comes from a place of pain. Now, this song that Scott's going to play in just a second has been around for a while, but it's, it's actually new to me. It's called Thy Will by Hilary Scott. And as you listen, you need to understand that while she was writing the words to this song, she was experiencing a, a very difficult pregnancy. And so over the weeks as she would go in and to the doctors, waiting, waiting, not knowing, she wrote the words to this song. And she finished the song, sadly, uh, because that pregnancy ultimately ended in a miscarriage. There were simply too many problems. When she would pray, instead of trying to make a lie into the truth, instead of trying to manipulate others, instead of trying to manipulate God, she would run out of words so that only four remained. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. If you want to know how to honor the Lord's name, you just heard it. That's how we take Him seriously. That's how we give Him the kavod, the weightiness, the gravity, and might that's due His name. And one last thing before I finish. There's a fourth way to take the Lord's name in vain. And I can't imagine no worse way than this. So in essence, this is the first of the meanings here. And that is not to believe. The first step in honoring the name of God is to believe in God. Believe on Him who sent Jesus Christ to live, to die, to raise from the dead so that in believing we might have life. We might have life eternal. Father, our gratitude extends far beyond any words that we can say. In fact, we run out of words. And you fill them in with your Spirit. You speak for us when there is no one to speak to include ourselves. We thank you and we praise you. We pray for a deeper understanding that we might be able to live lives worthy of your calling. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.